Hadassah, and I'm so excited to welcome you to Real Woman, Real Torah, a project of Bacheva Learning Center. We're here to offer you an authentic Torah learning experience, produced for women, by women. I hope you enjoy. If you'd like to follow along inside the text, you can find a fully vowelized PDF of the DAF at www.batshevalearningcenter.com slash DAF. Hello, we are learning DAF Mem today. Um, we're going to be continuing our discussion about various uh, practices in, you know, in the context of Tefillah B'tzibor. Um, we're also going to be circling back to the theme of humility that we touched on all the way at the beginning of the Masefta um, with some really interesting Really interesting stories. Um, so, yeah, let's dive right in. All right. So uh, we were discussing Birkas Kahanan, and we had a whole a stretch at the end of last stop uh, regarding um, the response, right? And apparently there were certain psukim, which uh, certain Amaran felt that the, the congregation uh, should respond um, as the should respond with as the Kahanim are saying the Birkas Kahanim, right? So there are three uh, brachas sort of thinking Hashem, sort of thinking Hashem uh, when, you know, Birkas Kahanim takes place. So Plegi of Mari Verab Zvid. So Mari Verab Zvid um, disagree regarding when these psukim should actually be recited. Chat Amar Psukah Lekabal Sukkah. One says that it should be you know, one verse corresponding to another verse, meaning when the kind of say the first Pesach, the congregation to respond with one verse. And then when they say the second uh, line, the congregation to the second verse. Uh, one said, the other one says that um, on whenever the Kahanim say one verse, um, the congregation should say all three every single time after each verse. So Rechia Bar Abba says, Anyone who says leave Sukkim outside of the base of Mekdash is mistaken. Right? So all this whole discussion that we said about the congregation saying Sukkim, that's all only the base of Mekdash. Rechia Bar Papa says, You should know, right now. He says, actually, in the base of Mekdash, you also don't need to say it, or perhaps you even shouldn't say it. Right? Do you have a servant who's being blessed by his master and he's not listening? Meaning to say, he feels like it's inappropriate for to the congregation to recite these sukkim because they should be listening to the Birkas Gahan with full attention. So Akhabarchanina has the opposite view. Right? We had a view that you say it only in the base of Mekdash. We have a view that you never say it. Or Akhabarchanina says you should always say it. Do you ever have a, a slave who's being is being blessed uh, and he doesn't show gratitude to his master. Meaning to say that um, it, it, it is appropriate to say these spoken because it's showing gratitude to Hashem for giving us these brachas. Rabbi Abahu said, I used to say them initially. Once I saw Rabbi Abba from Akko, 
uh, not saying them, I also didn't say them, right? So, and that's kind of reflected in what, you know, what we're familiar with today. These stukim are not uh, recited. So now we're going to kind of go on a little uh, tangent here uh, regarding the character and personality of these two Amarayim, Rabbi Abahu and Rabbi Abedzaman Akko. So Rabbi Abba used to say, I used to say, I used to think that I'm a humble person. <laughs> it's an interesting thing right, to say about oneself. I guess we usually think of humility. Uh, you know, it's, it's saying I am humble as a contradictor, contradiction in terms. Well, um, we're actually going to see at the end of the Masech that there's going to be a whole uh, a series of uh, statements like this. So we'll get into one more there. Um, but yeah, this is just like one example of this. But this is not the only time we hear Atana saying something like this or Namora saying something like this. <clears throat> right. Right. That's true. Um, but right. Apparently, you know, it's a little there's, a, there's an idea. You know, it could be balanced, the self-awareness. Uh, of one's traits and actually having one's traits. So he said, I thought that I had reached this level of humility, but but once I saw uh, Rabbi Abba from uh, from Akko, um, once I like observed his behavior, uh, you know, he, that made him reconsider. So what was that he saw? So Rabbi Abba was giving a speech you know, to the crowd. He was teaching an idea. Uh, and at the time, it was customary. So for a great uh, rabbi, would when he would speak, he wouldn't speak alone directly to the crowd or directly to his students. He would have what was called a matorgamon. So the teacher or the, or the rab would say his teaching in a sort of very abbreviated form and also in a very low voice. And the matorgamon would repeat the teaching in a louder voice and also expand and kind of explain it, right? So the matorgamon was often learned in his own right, but kind of, you know, subservient, right? Uh, kind of an assistant to the rabbi or teacher, right? But generally the matorgamon was supposed to stay authentic and true to what the teacher said. So he would kind of either repeat exactly or maybe expand a little bit, but along the lines of what he was told. But one time, Rabbi Abba was giving a speech. Who Amar Chatema? So he said halacha. He said one reason for halacha. The Amar Amore Chatema, right? And his assistant, right, who was repeating his words, said a completely different reason, right? He kind of said he kind of disregarded the reason that the rabbi said, and he said his own explanation, which is kind of uh, an affront to the honor of the teacher, right? Kind of saying, "Oh, my explanation is better. I'm going to give my own explanation instead." The like happened, right? And he saw that Rabbi Abba was not upset at all, and he took no offense. Actually, the commentaries have a little bit of a disagreement about exactly what the Matorgamon did. Did he totally give a different reason? Some say if that was the case, then he should have gotten upset, right? Because like he's totally changing what his, the, the teacher is saying. Um, and some say, some say that he, he said his reason, but he also added his own um, to it. Um, and then others actually explained that it could be that he he um, he said only his own, um, but the reason why it was okay for um, uh, what's his name again? Uh, Rabbi Abba. Rabbi Abba. The reason why it was okay for Rabbi Abba not to like correct him, you know, um, you know, if, if it was something which was inaccurate, was because the reason that he gave happened to have been like also like a a good uh, you know 
a uh, correct um, reasoning. Um, and therefore, that showed real humility that, you know, he didn't sort of take an affront to the fact that he was basically saying, you know, I have a better way of explaining this than you do, you know. Um, so anyway, just different, there's different, uh, different ways of looking at exactly what, exactly what he did. What to, is uh, the state was? What's yeah. the chad time Right. Exactly. Um, right. But at any rate, I guess you can imagine, right? Imagine like, I don't know. Insert great leader, right? The Rebbe or any great leader just speaking, and then oh, this other, you know, this the uh, assistant, right, changing or adding whatever it was. Either way, it was something that was, you know, to, was an extreme gesture of humility and not taking oneself, sort of holding oneself above, uh, you know, that would that would be behind right Rabbi Abba's behavior. And so Rabbi Abba, he said when he saw that, Amina love Inusana. When I saw that, I realized oh, I'm not, I'm not humble, right? I have, I have nothing to compare to that. So indeed, so the Gemara is going to ask, wait, what indeed was Rabbi Abahu, what kind of uh, behavior did Rabbi Abahu uh, exemplify that showed his humility, right? What made Rabbi Abahu humble? So it says uh, a story. So So the wife of Rabbi Abahu's assistant said to Rabbi Abahu's wife, my husband, right, the assistant, doesn't need your husband, the rabbi. Right, you, you know, even though your husband is like, you know, Rabbi Abahu is a very renowned uh, teacher uh, and master. And actually, we're going to see later, he was uh, both, you know, a brilliant scholar and a teacher of Torah. And he was also very um, close to the, very respected by the Roman government because um, he was both very wise, very articulate, and also like kind of very much of a presence. Like a, his physically had a very aristocratic uh, look, right? Very physically beautiful, also very wealthy, right? So he kind of was like this very popular figure, both popular amongst the people, right? People love listening to him, very charismatic, and also very close with the Roman government, right? Very, so he was like this great uh, personality, right? Um, and so, and his his maturgamon, his assistant, was apparently also learned, right? But it, but he was assistant. So apparently the assistant's wife, you know, perhaps out of out of jealousy or just kind of trying to stick, you know, uh, right. He kind of says kind of nasty comment to Rebo's wife and says, you know, my husband, even though he's your husband's, you know, Rebo's assistant, he doesn't really need a Rebo. He's really a scholar in his own right. He could even be a rabbi in his own right. He doesn't need to be your husband's assistant. The fact that my husband bends down to listen to what your husband says and then straightens up and then is his, and then, like, says, disseminates what he says to the crowd. Um, right? He's just kind of putting on a show trying to honor your husband, Rabbi Abahu. But, like, he's just doing that as a show because, you know, perhaps he's close to the government. So he's trying to show him honor. But, like, really, you know, he doesn't really need your husband. He, he could be his own, a rabbi in his own right. So, Abahu's wife is kind of, you know, understandably upset and hurt and so here she repeats the story to Rabbi Abahu so Rabbi Abahu said something very powerful he says um Amar he said to her Umay like what does it matter to you who cares you know who feels who is more important who is more honored who is less honored me not me not me sorry 
mana fili mina. Who? Why do you care? You know what she says. Mini umine yiskanes yiskales ila. From me and from him. Hashem's name will be praised, meaning both of us are teaching Torah. Both of us are spreading Hashem's word. So through whoever, you know, the teachings come through, uh, what matters is that Hashem's name is being honored. What matters is that Torah is being taught. All right, so we also see, you know, with Rabbi Abel, an extraordinary sense of, you know, not putting his mission uh, above his own personal honor. Um so, but see, we have another story showing Rabbi Abba's uh, humility. So the Chachamim, uh, right, he was appointed to be the leader, right, of all the Chachamim, to be like the Nasi. So, but then he saw that Rabbi Abba Daman Ako, who perhaps wasn't as much of an obvious candidate, he was uh, had many debts, right? He was very poor. Um, and so he thought that, you know, he was already wealthy and he thought that Rabbi Abba Daman Akko would uh, benefit from the position more than he because he had many debts. And, you know, when it says that when a person would become a Nazi, uh, he'd be granted, given many gifts, right? Uh, and that would sort of help his financial situation. It's interesting so because the Rambam actually writes, the Rambam yeah. writes very harshly, you know, that, you know, somebody should never benefit financially from teaching Torah. Um, you know, people shouldn't get shouldn't get paid for being uh, in a position of of, of uh, Torah scholarship. Um, and but uh, most place came. I mean, as we know, people today do that, right? They people do get paid um, and make a living off of teaching Torah. And a lot of the the kind of place came who who kind of rule contrary to the Rambam, um, it's based on this, right? This Gemara, I mean, this is one of the sources where we see that, yes, you know, being the taking the position of Nasi, um, it was actually, was considered a positive thing for people to give him money and, and, and sort of as a way of showing prestige to the position, um, making it financially beneficial as well. <laughs> mm, right. I think I also thought that they would, they would give gifts sort of a, to make it, you know, just like practically make it financially viable, but also because um, they want to be respected by the people, right? It says by a king, you should only appoint a king that is wealthy, physically wealthy and physically beautiful, right? So people respect them. Right, um, yeah, part of prestige for the position, right? Right, respect, also you won't, that way you won't be able to bribe the Nessie, right? Because he already has, is wealthy. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, it's interesting how to right balance those two. Those two. Uh, yeah, well, it seems like the Rambam is a pretty like lone voice. Like most people, most of the can seem to say otherwise. That like, yeah, mm. but you can't allow to, uh, to take money. Yeah, mm. so interesting. I feel like because I feel like that's we kind of doesn't feel like that. I guess the way that it's presented. I think I feel like we that's the idea thrown around a lot. It's over, right. you know. Right. Okay. So we see here that. Um, Rabbi Bo's extreme humility, right? He gave up this position, which he rightfully, you know, probably deserved, but he gave it up for, he was able to cede his honor for Rabbi Amin Daman Akko because he felt that he would benefit more from it. Uh, so Amr, who he said, Ika Rabba, right? He said to them, there's someone greater than me who can, right? He, and he had them appoint Rabbi Amin Daman Akko. Okay, now we have a third story showing, um, 
Rabbi Bahu's humility. So it says Rabbi Bahu, Rabbi Chia Bar Abba, Ikla Hu Asra. So it says that Rabbi Bahu and Rabbi Chia Bar Abba, two of them arrived. They were, they kind of happened and visited this one town, this one Jewish town, right? So two rabbis come to town. What do you do? They give a speech, right? Everyone wants to come and hear, you know, what these rabbis have to say. So Rabbi Bahu Darash Ba'agadata. So Rabbi Bahu, his topic was a gadata. Right, more like stories, lessons, morals. Rabbi Chiyabar Abba Darish Bishmaita. Rabbi Chiyabar Abba uh, gave a speech on more halachic, more esoteric, you know, material. Shabkua Kuli Amal Rabbi Chiyabar Abba. So he says everybody left Rabbi Chiyabar Abba, but other Lagavi Rabbi Abahu, and the whole town went to Rabbi Abahu. Rabbi was distressed. He was kind of upset, right? He's left an empty room, no one to talk to. So Rabbi said, uh, you know, tried to comfort him. And he said, let me, let me give you a mashal, right? What's, what does this matter compared to? Two people. One is selling precious stones, but right? Kind of, you know, household, cheap household tools, right? Like Rashi said, like a spindle or a needle and thread. Omi Kaifsin, who is everybody going to flock to? Lyle Dash and Mike Armini Sidkis, they're all going to go to the person who's peddling these simple tools, right? Um, so, right, so meaning the, the meaning here is, is that even though the precious stones are really more valuable, they're more expensive. So people aren't, you know, don't have the money to buy them. And so that's why they're going to go to the cheaper utensils. Uh, and so he was saying, you know, it's not that my speech was so much better than yours, it's just that. Agatha is easier for it's an easier topic. It's easier for people to listen to, whereas your speech halacha it's like the precious stones, right? It's it's more valuable, but it takes more investment and it takes more effort to kind of understand it. And so people didn't have, you know what I mean? It's it's because you spoke about something so lofty uh, that people you know weren't on a high enough level, right? To or weren't willing to put enough effort into it. But uh, it's sort of a sign of the greatness of what you spoke about, not of you know, anything lacking or anything inferior. Right. It's, it's important to note here that he's not necessarily saying that halacha is better or is, or is greater than a gadza, right? We know that there's the famous Safri that says, um, if you want to like get to know, you know, understand Hashem, then you have to learn, you have to learn a gadza. Um, so of course he's not saying that this is not as great as halacha. He just, he'll be saying that, I got that something which is easier for people to, to listen to and to relate to, um, you know, as opposed to like more um, obscure, you know, esoteric halachic discussions might be, um, you know, less, uh, less uh, appealing to the crowd, to the masses. Um, and that's what he means with this muscle, but he's not necessarily saying that, that, you know, halacha is more valuable or more important um, than, than a gadata. Hmm. Right, that's, that is important to know. I guess you could, right, someone could easily mistake mistake this as saying that, and I guess when someone reads a goddess, I could easily mistake them as being sort of right. less valuable. Right, right, right. But again, I mean, this, this, yeah, I mean, it's, it makes sense, right? Like, halacha could be, I guess, harder to uh, get into or get excited about than, you know, moral. Yeah, I can see this happening. <laughs> yeah. So it makes sense. Obviously, it's going to happen today. One. Exactly. <laughs> I'm definitely going to Rabbi Abahu's lecture. Sure, right. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so this is what Rabbi Abahu said, try to kind of try and comfort him, right? He didn't kind of 
you know, use this as an opportunity to like rub it in and be like, look, I'm better than you, right? He tried to comfort him and show him that it wasn't actually that his his topic that Rabbi Chia Barabbas talked was also honorable. Uh, apparently, this didn't work, right? I guess Rabbi Chia Barabbas sensed that. You know, Rabbi Abahu on some level was kind of just trying to make it feel better. Really, you know, because really Rabbi Abahu was, in fact, uh, somewhat of a more popular speaker. Like, people did actually like and enjoy his way of speaking. Um, and so Rabbi thought, ah, he's trying to make me feel better. And he still wasn't, you know, really consoled. And so Rabbi Abahu goes further to try to console him. He says, Kol yoma have a mala uh so every day until his, so every day would escort Rabbi Abahu until his lodgings, right? Kind of as an expression of honor. Why? Because of the honor of the um of Caesar, right? Because as we mentioned before, Rabbi Abahu was very respected uh by the Roman uh, Caesar and the Roman government because of his great um, you know, stature um, and charisma, I guess. Um, so today, who remember that day? Abba Rabbi Abahu Rabbi Chiyabar Abba Rabbi Chiyabar Abba escorted. Sorry, Rabbi Abahu escorted Rabbi Chiyabar Abba right and showed Rabbi Chiyabar Abba that great uh, express gesture of honor. Ad Ushpizay until his lodgings. I feel happy, and even then, lo Even then, Rabbi Chiyabar Abba was still not truly. Was still kind of a little bit distressed. About what happened, it didn't, it didn't fully, um, it wasn't fully comforted. So, yeah, so right, definitely about what, what, what's, what is he so upset about? You know, why is he not appeased? Um, so there's different, different ways of understanding it. One of them is that he was he was distressed by the fact that Rabbi Bahu wasn't was teaching a lot of kind of set of halacha because apparently the takana that Meisher Rabinu uh, made was that on Shabbos and Yom Tov you should specifically give a drasha on halacha. So he was sort of distressed that Rabbi Bahu wasn't, you know, sticking to that curriculum <laughs> in his cheer. Um, and then also another another commentary explains that you know it's important to note here that he's not something he's not he's not concerned about his own honor. It's not that he's you know feeling uh, insecure that people aren't coming to his cheer. It's it's that he was he was um, he was upset that he was losing out on those chus of being able to teach more people Torah. Um, and that's sort of what his, what his, uh, why he was still, you know, still upset about the fact right. that they weren't, that they weren't coming. Right. I guess because Rabbi Abahu was, you know, trying to show him more honor and showing how his honor wasn't, wasn't, you know, shouldn't be affected. But, you know, that still doesn't, I guess, answer his issue if that was his Right. It doesn't take the fact that at the end of the day, people aren't coming, you know, <laughs> people aren't right. coming to hear the words of Halakha. Yeah. Not teaching Torah. Wow. Okay, so now we're going to jump right back in to um, Halakhas of Birkas Kahanim. So, so actually, it's, it's not quite Birkas Kahanim, but also the Halakhas of Dabni. So it says, we just talked about what the people, what the minion should say while the Kahanim are saying the brachas. So on a similar note, we're going to talk about what the congregation should say while the chazen is saying maidim. So it says, So at the, the time that the chazen is saying maidim, what do the people say? Um, so Amar Rav, Rav said, Right? We're thankful to you, Hashem our God, just because because we are thankful to you, because you have placed it in our parts and you've given us the awareness uh, to know that we, we need to thank you. Um, Shmuel Amar, Shmuel said, the God of, you know, all flesh, 
for the fact that we are able to be grateful to you. Where we see my armor, it's three against a racist. I'll show you my mouth. Where we see my said, you know, our creator, the the creator of all of creation, uh, that we're able to be grateful to you. Nahardae Amar Mishmei Der Bismai Brachis Vayadais L'Shem Chagado Al Shechianim Kimatsanu Al Shanu Mayimach. The Nahardae people from the city of Nahardae they had a different version of what Rishimai said. Uh, according to them, where Rishimai's Nusach was right, all of these uh, you know blessings and and thanks goes to your great name that you have kept us alive and sustained us. Um, and you know, allowed us to be grateful to you. would end end it this way. Right. So, so I guess he would. I guess we're saying he would kind of add on to Rabbi Simai's uh, thing, and he would say, you know, just you ha- thank you for keeping us alive and sustaining us, sustaining us, and so too you should continue to keep us alive and grant us uh, mercy, and you should gather us and do keep us gullious, uh, and gather us into your holy courtyard in order to keep your mitzvahs and do your will with a full heart, uh, because we have been grateful to you. Right, so we kind of have a bunch of different versions. So, what do we do? What in practice? What do we actually say? Um, or a papa, or a papa says, Hilkach, therefore, <laughs> we can't decide which one, so we'll just say all of them, right? And that's why we actually end up with uh, our Nusach today. If you look at our center today, we have a whole paragraph, which is basically a combination of all of these different lot phrases, uh, and that's why it's called Maidim Dirabanan, right? It's a modim, which is a conglomerate of all these different opinions of all these different but you know it's the Ruder Ham actually writes you know why is it that Maidim is the only the only part of the, the Tefillah right that the whole congregation has to also say it along with the Chazim right everything else we just let the Chazim say it himself um, so he says because the rest of Shemana Esrei is all asking for our needs so when you're asking for your needs it's okay to like have a representative sort of a shliach sort of speak on your behalf but he says like if you're you know if you're going before a king and you you're you want to like show acknowledgement and thanks to the king, then it's sort of inappropriate to just have send a messenger to do it on your behalf. It's not really, you're not fully, you know, greeting the king with the appropriate respect if you're not doing it on your own. And that's why the whole congregation, when it comes to Maidim specifically, um, has to respond with the Chazan and, and express these words of acknowledgement and thanks as well. Wow, that's so fascinating. Very, yeah. like, very powerful lesson, I guess, in our own lives, right? About, right. about gratitude. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so Amar Rabias, like Rabias, like said, I love to hate Amos Siboralacha, right? The awe of the public, of the community, should always be on you, meaning you should always be respectful, right? Uh, of the community, a, a, a group of Jews, a community of Jews gathered together is a very sacred thing. Uh, How do we see this? The Kahanim, when they bless the people, they, they're there facing the people. And in the base of Mekdash, their backs would be to the Heichal of the base of Mekdash, right? So they would turn their back, so to speak, on the Shlina and face the people. Rav Nachman Amar Rav Nachman said, you can learn this idea from here. It says, um, um, So he said, like this is David Hamalak, right at the end of his life when he's going there to kind of anoint, right, pass on the kingship to Shlomo Amalek. And he says, um, you know, listen, my my brothers and my people. So 
the Gemara analyzes this pasuk, im achi lemi ami, right? If they're my brethren, right? why does he say my people? But im ami, if he says my people, lemi achi, why does he say my brethren? Why does it use both terms, which are kind of actually have an opposite implication, right? Achi kind of, you know, indicates a kind of like brotherhood, friendship, closeness. Ami indicates sort of a distance, right? A kind of top-down king-subject relationship. So our Bilaz, I remember, so our leather said, Amar lehem David Israel. David Amalek told the Jewish people, If you listen to me, uh, then you're my people. If you, if you are, won't listen to me, I will rule over you with a staff. Right? But the, the, the part we want to focus on is the idea that provided that the people listen, Right, uh, David Amalek says Ahi. Right, he kind of has this treating them with respect, uh, even though David Amalek is their king. Uh, he's treating them with that respect because of the Amos Hatzibor, the sacredness, the sanctity of the Jewish community. The Chachamim say you learn this idea from here. Uh, that the Kahanim are not allowed to go up to the platform to do Birkas Kahanim um, with their shoes. Right? So they have to take off their shoes. Taking off one's shoes is a symbol of respect, right? Like uh, like Maishar Rabbeinu, right? he had to take off his shoes, right, in the when he came to the burning bush, right? It's a symbol of respect, of sanctity when you take off your shoes. And it's because the blessing of Jewish people was such a sacred this is one of the nine ordinances, you know, uh, that Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai established. My time, what's the reason for it? Why did Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai say that Kahanim can't go up with their shoes? Wasn't it because of Kavod Zibar? So Amar Abashi Rashi said, no, that's not the reason for the Takana. Right, Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai said they shouldn't go up with their shoes for a completely different reason, nothing to do with Kavod Sibor. Hatham, right, the reason why over there is Shema Nipsakalai Ritsua Basandale. Could be that we're afraid that if the Kai goes up with the shoes, he's gonna one of his uh, straps of his sandal will snap. The Hadar Azalimic Therese will have to go back to his place to like tie it up. The Amre Ben Grusha Ben Chalutzahu, right? And so then he's gonna, you know, he'll get back to his place and he won't have time to go up to Birkas Kahanim. And then people are gonna be suspicious, right? If he doesn't go up for Birkas Kahanim, people are gonna suspect maybe he's the son of a divorcee, maybe he's the son of a woman who did Chalitza, maybe he's a disqualified Kahid, right? Uh, and they're gonna cast aspersions on his lineage uh, for no reason, right? And so therefore we say, don't wear shoes. So, you know, there's no risk of that happening. Ubamikdash bracha achas. Okay, so now we're gonna we're continuing on uh, interpreting our original Mishnah. So we said that in outside of the base of the Mikdash, the Kahanam say three separate brachas. It's like three separate lines, and the congregation says Amen three times. Uh, but in the Mikdash, it's one bracha, right? Just one uh, blessing. So the Kokach Lama. So the Gemara asks why? Like why? Why is there this difference? So it says Lafisha ein einen Amen b'Mikdash. Right there. We never say, there's no concept of saying Amen in the base of Mikdash. Uh, so therefore, if the congregation isn't saying Amen, there's nothing to break up the, the brachas. So Tanarabhan, and we learned in a brisa. So this brisa is going to expand more on this idea of not saying Amen in the base of Mikdash. Uh, so we not need to ain't an Amen in the Mikdash. How do we know 
that you don't say Amen in the base of Mekdash. So Shanamar, Pasagnachamia, Kumu, Varfu, Esashem, Likechem, and Ailam, Yada, Ailam. Stand up and bless your God uh, forever and ever. Right? So the, instead of saying Amen, uh, people would, after a bracha was made uh, in in the base of Mekdash, people would say that. They would say, um, they wouldn't say amen. We now shall call bracha bracha to heal us. How do we know that they would respond to every bracha with words of praise? Says, and they should bless your glorious name, which is exalted over all blessing and praise. But we're going to translate it a little bit. You know, differently than the literal meaning. I'll call bracha u bracha tenlosayula, right? So on every single bracha that is said, you should give Hashem praise. So, um, so whenever Hashem's name was mentioned in a bracha, the the um, that's what the people would respond. Baruch Hashem, but they would not say Amen, uh, and therefore there was no Amen in between the Berakas Kahanim. Okay, Masnithin. So now we're going on to the next item. In the list, another um, thing which must be said in Hebrew. So it says, Birchus Kayangadal Ketzad. How did the Birchus of the Kayangadal, uh, what was that process like? So this is all on Yom Kippur, right? So mm-hmm. what happened is the Chazan HaKneset, Nigel Sefer Terra, the Chazan HaKneset, who is kind of like the, I don't know, I guess part of what we would call the Shamish today, um, right? Someone who would kind of would take care of the practical, making sure that the, that, you know, that the sh- kind of base soul area, so to speak, of the base of Mekdash was in order, you know, making sure the Torah, giving, making sure everything was in place, everything was clean, and making sure the Torah, the Sefer Torah were taken out at the right time, right? So the Chaz and the Knesset would give it, would take the Sefer Torah, but no to the Rishik Knesset, he would give it to the Rishik Knesset, which rough translation is kind of like the gabai, right? It says that he would kind of decide which people would go up for which aliyah, right? That kind of thing. Um, right? The Reishaknesis would give it to the Sagan, who's the assistant uh, Kayangado, right? If the Kayangado were disqualified or unable to serve, the Sagan would fill in. If a Sagan, nice little Kayangado, and the Sagan gives it to the Kayangado himself. The Kangadal Aime do Makabal Bakara, the Kangadal stands and receives the Sefer Torah and reads. Achrimais, he reads the section of Achrimais. Uh, the uh, Achbaser, these are both sections of the Sefer Torah which talk about the Abayda of Yom Kippur. The Gala Satara, and then he rolls up the Torah and places it, you know, against his chest. But I'm already says, Yes, the Rimasha Kurisil of Nechon Kasifkan. There is much more than what I read for you today, written in this book. Uva Astar Shabachoma should be Kudim Kara Al Pet. And then he says, the section beginning Uva Astar, also about Yom Kippur, but this section is the other two sections were in Bayekra. This last section is in Babedbar. And so he reads that section by heart. So, and after reading the Torah, he he, blood, he makes eight brachas. Ala Torah, he makes a brachas of Torah. Avaida, right, concerning the Avaida and the base of Mikdash, that it should be received favorably by Hashem. Vala Adaya, right, a blessing of thanksgiving. that Hashem should forgive one's sins. Vala Mikdash, the Jewish people's sins. Vala Mikdash, the base of Mikdash should be sustained and protected by Israel, about the Jewish people, while Kahanim, 
your place should be blessed while your shalayim, your shalayim should be blessed, fila, and the rest of the prayer. This is itself a bracha that ends with shemea tefila. Okay, so now let's dive right into the Gemara. So it says, Shmat Mina. So it, it's commenting on the first thing we said in the Mishnah, which is that there's this kind of chain of people uh, through which the Sefer Torah passes, right? First, the Chazanic Knesset, then the Reisha Knesset, then the Skad, and then the Kayangara. So the Gemara is kind of surprised that the Chazanic Knesset and, uh, you know, all these other people are giving the honor of taking the Sefer Torah before the Kayangara himself. So the Gemara says, Shmat Mina, Chalking by the Talmud, right? It sounds like from here, that you can give honor to the Talmud, right, to the person of lower status in the place of the teacher, right, the person of higher status. So Amar Abai, Abai said, No, all of these, you know, the fact that all these other people carry the Sefer Torah, that's all to honor the Kayangadal, right? It's more honorable uh, for someone when there's all these other people who are kind of serving him, right, and kind of like, you know, bringing... Uh, the safe retire to him rather than him taking it himself. So all these other people who are taking the tire, it's not their own privilege that they're getting. They're just serving in service of the kind of um, okay, so the Mishnah had continued and said, the Kaingado, I'm a new Makabo The Kaingado receives stands up, receives the tara and reads. So the Gemara is surprised. It says I made it. It says the Kaingado stands up. Sumiklal, that implies that before he was sitting. <laughs> he was sitting, so he had to stand up in order to read. Baham or Mar, and don't we haven't we learned? In Yeshiva Bazara. There, nobody is allowed to stand in the Azara in that courtyard of the base of Mekdash, except for the kings of base David, right? To the exclusion of kings who were not of base David, like the Hashwanaim, right? Um but uh yeah, so those are the it's the only person you know, category of people who are allowed to sit in the Azar. So how could it be the kind God was sitting and then he had to stand up? Uh, so how do we, first of all, it's going to, how do we know this? How do we know that kings of these seven are allowed to sit? So it says, right? It says that David Mal came and sat before Hashem, right? He said, who, you know, proceeded to David, right? So, this was in the Mishkan, so David Amalek was sitting in front of in front of the Aaron. So kids Amar Rakhista, so it must be in accordance with what Rakhista said in another context. Uh, that sometimes, although you know, you might think uh, this ceremony was done in the Azara, in fact, it was done by Ezra's Nashim in the women's courtyard, which was just outside the Azara, and that was on the Harabais, but it didn't have the same sanctity as the Azara. Uh, and therefore, any you know, sitting was permitted there. So hachanami just like we're going to see in, a, in another context, Rav Chista said about other ceremonies that they were done in the Ezra Sashim, so too this ceremony of the kind God will giving the brachas that was done in the Ezra Sashim, and therefore there's no problem of sitting. So Mesave, uh, okay, so it's interesting, Mesave usually means a contradictory uh, sort of text. Um... So it seems that in this context, it doesn't really fit. This is actually a supporting text. Um, I see in a note on the side, it says that in some versions, they actually erase uh, this word and they say detanya, right? And that kind of makes more sense. So, um, but at any rate, right, it says in a price, that the Hathen Kairin Bai, where do they read it? Uh, where do they read the Tyra? 
So Belzara, right? So the first opinion of this Mishnah is that they say the bride says that they read it in Lazara. Rabbi Elazar ben Yaakov, Omer Rabbi Elazar ben Yaakov says no, Bahar Habayis, where they read it in Har Habayis. Shenamar vayikra by Lefnei Rechai v'Sher Lefnei Sharmaim. It says he read it, uh, you know, in the in the streets, <laughs> right? Um, and right before the um, the stream of water. Sorry, the gate of the water. Um, so, right, so that, that's the passage from Nehemiah about when Ezra was reading the Saber Torah. And so that's the proof that it's kind of on Harabias, right, where near the, um, you know, near like that broad open space outside of outside of the court of the base of Mekdash, but not in the Ezra itself. Amar um, Rechitza, said, but Ezra's Nashim, Rechitza said it was actually in the Ezra's Nashim, which is not outside, completely outside of the precinct of the base of Mekdash, uh, like, Rabbi Lazar ben Yaakov said, but it's not in the Azara, as we originally said, but rather in the Ezra's Nashim, right? And so according to Rav Chizda, this our Mishnah makes perfect sense, uh, as we said before. Okay, so we'll pause here, and we'll pick up tomorrow with Daf Mamalif. Yes, Daf Mamalif is a fascinating Daf, lots of, packed with lots of interesting stuff, so looking forward to yes, seeing indeed. you there.